Welcome to Grassbridge. If you are a guest with us today, we are so glad that you are here. And our hope for you is the same as it is for everyone at Crossbridge, that we would all be taking steps in our faith towards Jesus, because that is what we are all about. And I have to say, it is great to see everybody in person. You really came out today, so thank you. Um, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Becky Fry, and I'm the administrative director here at Crossbridge. And that basically means that my job is to try to keep everyone organized, especially Pastor Jimmy and Pastor Will, and you kind of get the idea. Um, and I try to help everybody keep taking steps forward. And I love that I get to speak from you, to you from up front a few times a year, especially when it's on a topic that is near and dear to my heart and is something that I personally struggle with. I really hope that over the past few weeks of this series, you have had time to start processing the different lies that you might be believing in your life and what God is telling you about them. Today, we do finally get to close out our True or False series. We've been talking all month long about how goals and resolutions at the beginning of the year are fine and there's nothing wrong with them. But as followers of Jesus, if we don't look any different at the end of the year than we did at the beginning, then what did we really accomplish? We've been using our illustration here of our braid of paracord to help us visualize the difference between our true and our false self, with the white paracord representing our true self, the person who God created us to be. This is our true identity, that we are fully loved and accepted by God. And each of these lies that are braided into our paracord here represent the different lies that we can deal with. And so we started off with our blue paracord, which is representing the lie that we, um, we are what we do. And our pink string we moved to maybe two weeks ago now because of the snow, and that was representing that I am what I have. And this week, we're going to tackle the black string the lie of I am what others think about us. And you can see that this black one is actually woven in throughout all of them um, because I think it's one that's something we all struggle with. And on your seats, if you're here with us in person, there, and it's not on every seat, so if you don't have one, kind of scoot around till you find one, there is a little black piece of paracord that you can take home with you to remind you of this lie. And I have found over the past few weeks, listening to the different messages, that I've realized that the lies, you know, are very intertwined within my life. Though God has knit me together with intrinsic worth, like he has all of us, it often is getting covered up by the lies. And it's hard to discern sometimes for me which lie is dominant um, and which one I'm maybe dealing with at the moment. Has anyone else felt that over this series? Thank you, Sam. Thank you for the ones who raised your hand. I'm glad to know I'm not alone. And I have found that I keep asking myself, am I listening to the lie of I am what I do because I've been basing my value on performance? Or, you know, does having the right stuff or for me the right title or the right degree really motivate me? Or am I worried about what others think of me and therefore everything's coming out of a people-pleasing and trying to overachieve and overcommit to things just so everybody will be happy with me. And it really just feels like the answer to the questions is yes. Yeah, it's all of it. 
And at different times in our life, I think God helps different lies pop to the surface so that he can help us walk in greater freedom. And now why I struggle with all the different lies at different points, God really started to work on the lie of I am what others think for me about six years ago. I was at a Christian conference in Atlanta, and one night during the worship session, this question just kept popping into my head, and it had nothing to do with the topics that we were speaking about, and it had nothing to do with the songs that we were singing that night, but the question just was simply, why do you care so much about what other people think of you? And I remember we left the arena, and as we were driving away, because I wasn't driving, I was writing in my journal, and I just wrote the question down, and I just thought, I have no idea. I didn't even think it was a problem. I thought, I'm pretty self-confident. I don't care what other people think of me. I didn't even see that it was a lie. And you're going to have to give me one second, because my notes got put in a different order. I guess the hazard of not using an iPad like Jimmy. So, at the time though, as I was trying to process through it on my own, I didn't realize that it was a lie. I thought that I was portraying myself as a pretty self-confident person, and um, I didn't realize how insecure I was and how deep that actually went. I had grown up trying to please people through my performance, and honestly, it just seemed like that was normal to me. I didn't realize that I was living a lie based on, because I thought it was truth. I thought it was how life just was. I thought that others and God loved and accepted me more when I lived up to their expectations and what they thought of me. Now, today, I know that that is not the truth. And the great news of the gospel is that our identity shouldn't be built on a foundation of what others think about us, or what we do, or what we have. It's based on who God says we are. As Pastor Jimmy has been saying the past few weeks, we have to know the truth in order to break free of the lie. David Benner, in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, and it's a great book to read if um, anyone's interested, he puts it this way. The self that God persistently loves is not my prettied-up pretend self, but my actual self, the real me. But master of delusion that I am, I have trouble penetrating my web of self-deceptions and knowing this real me. I continually confuse it with some ideal self that I wish I were. Our real self, our true self, is covered up by the web of lies that we believe making us live a fake life or our false self. So what exactly does the lie of I am what others think look like in our life? And what can we do to fight it? To help us out here today, I want to look at some snippets from King Solomon's life. Now, throughout the series, we've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, which was written by King Solomon. But instead of doing that today, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to look at how Solomon lived his life. King Solomon is our third king of Israel, and he takes the throne as his father David is dying. The story is found in the Old Testament book, Old Testament book of 1 Kings, and we're going to be in chapter 2, um, 
starting in verse 2. If you guys have your Bibles, you can follow along with us. Otherwise, we will have all the verses on the screen for you here in person and online. And King David tells Solomon this as he's getting ready to die. He says, I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all of his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. Now, King David was known to be a man after God's own heart, and his final words to Solomon are to follow God and all of his laws that he's given him. God's truth is our solid foundation upon which to build our life. It's great advice not just for King Solomon, but for us today. In chapter 3 of 1 Kings, we see Solomon makes an alliance with Egypt by marrying one of Pharaoh's daughters. And this is going to be one of the first of Solomon's many, many wives. It tells us in verse 3 that Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David, except, and that's an important word, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. So why would Solomon, who we will see even later in this same chapter, pray to God asking for wisdom to lead his people, also worship idols? I think that one strong possibility is that he really cared about what his wives thought, and he wanted to try to keep them happy. He found value in having the many wives and the alliances and the money and stuff that came with them. And he cared about what others thought about him more than he cared about what God thought about him and more than God's laws of following, or not following, but worshiping idols. The lie, I am what others think, is present in Solomon's life. And we, Solomon, we see Solomon continue to struggle with this lie a few chapters later when he meets the Queen of Sheba. If we jump to chapter 10, we see this. It says, When the Queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, which brought honor to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She arrived in Jerusalem with a large group of attendants and a great caravan of camels loaded with spices, large quantities of gold and precious jewels. When she met with Solomon, she talked with him about everything she had on her mind. Solomon had answers for all of her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba realized how very wise Solomon was, and when she saw the palace he had built, she was overwhelmed. She was also amazed at the food on his tables, the organization of his officials, and their splendid clothing, the cupbearers and the burnt offerings Solomon made at the temple of the Lord. She exclaimed to the king, Everything I heard in my country about your achievements is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of it. Your wisdom and prosperity are far beyond what I was told. So in modern day slang, King Solomon is flexing for the Queen of Sheba. He is showing her everything he has. He's trying to make sure that she's impressed. And so not only is he tangled up in the lie of I am what others think, but he's also tangled up in the lie of I am what I have. 
he's hunting for his value and worth all over the place. His self-worth seems to be built primarily on his wealth, his great wisdom, his adoration from others. He's living his life on a false foundation. And one of the reasons that we have these little books that we handed out at the beginning of the series, and if you didn't get one and want one, they are right on the back table as you came in and you can grab one. Um, but one of the reasons we have these little books is because we know how often these lies tend to work together to disrupt our life. We may think that we're dealing with the lie of I am what I do, only to realize through prayer and journaling and maybe some counseling that we're doing everything because we care about what people think about us. And so this can all be pretty confusing, right? At least it is to me. Believing what other people think about us and building our identity upon it is dangerous. Sometimes what other people think about us is positive. As we see with Solomon, the thoughts um, puffed up his pride and they made what others thought about him into an idol. His value was high if he impressed people. But sometimes what other people think about us is negative. They tell us that we're worthless or that we're stupid or we're weird or we just won't amount to anything. And those words tear us down. And so then what happens to our value when that happens? Regardless of whether the words we're hearing from others are positive or negative, they are both the wrong foundation upon which to build our life. In his book, Soul Care, Dr. Rob Reamer puts it this way. If you build your life on the foundation of other people's approval, you will likely end up resentful. When they withhold approval, you will resent them. When they continually demand more from you, you will resent them. The reality is that they aren't really demanding more. You feel this internal pressure to give more and do more because of the lie that you have to keep them happy and have them like you to feel good about yourself. I just want to pause here for a second and let that settle in because every time I read those words, it's like a punch to my gut because I'm like, oh, yeah, I see myself in that description. So how do we know if we're struggling with the lie of I am what others think about us? Thankfully, there are things that we can look for, and just like with a physical disease, there are symptoms of the lie that are going to show themselves. Like in the passage we just read, resentment can be a red flag for us and tell us that we're standing on a lie. Feelings of anxiety, having imaginary conversations with people in your head, assuming that we know what another person is thinking, defensiveness, blaming others, negative self-talk, or feelings of fearfulness can all be red flags that tell us that we are most likely standing on a lie instead of God's truth. So before we move on, I wanna just have everybody take out your little journal, if you've got it, or you can write on the little piece of paper you got when you came in, and I just want you to write down for a second, do you see yourself struggling with this lie? Are you seeing any flags of resentment, anxiety, mind reading, imaginary conversations, defensiveness, blame, negative self-talk or fear? And if so, 
kind of just write down who you see it popping up with or when you see it popping up. I'm going to give you like 20 seconds and you're going to get a chance. You'll just have to go back to it later this week in your time with God. But I just don't want you to forget now. So just take a moment to do that. Okay, you may or may not be done, but we're going to keep going. So, if you are struggling with this lie in your life, what do we do next? And I love that Pastor Jimmy has told us that the antidote is to know the truth. But I want to take it a step further this morning. If you're here today and you don't know the truth about who God says you are, then that is your next step. Because the Bible tells us that even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes, Ephesians 1.4. That God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure, Ephesians 1.5-6. God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. 1 Corinthians 1.30. If you are a follower of Jesus, then these are just some of the amazing truths about you, about us. And if you're listening today and you're not a follower of Jesus, these are the truths that he is offering to you. He wants to save you from a life that is built on lies and sin and bring you into the abundant and joyful life that he's offering. If you want to know the truth about who God says you are, we do have a resource, and I've printed it out, and it's on the information table up at the front. And for those of you watching online, our moderator is going to be dropping a link to it in the comments for you. But some of you are probably here, and you're like me. And you know the truth about who God says you are. But it isn't making a difference in how you're actually living your life. And I get it because I've been there, I am there, all depending on the day. For many years after God spoke to me at that conference, I knew the truth of God's word in my head. But I wasn't living out the truth of God in my life. King Solomon knew what the law required. He knew what God told him to do. But his life wasn't reflecting the truth that he knew. There was a disconnect between the knowledge and his behavior. And I think it is helpful here to just stop and acknowledge that there is a difference between what we know and what we live out in our, in our life. What we know to be true in our spirit and then what is actually happening in our soul. In our spirit, all of God's promises for us are true. We are saved, we are justified, we are redeemed, and we are free. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavens bestowed on us. We are no longer slaves of the world or its leader, the devil, but we've become slaves of Christ. We were bought by his blood, and our ownership has changed. Positionally, all these things are true about us. But in our soul, our heart, the part of us that works out these truths, 
we are still a work in process. What we know to be true and what we're living out can be very different because we do have to work it out on a day-to-day basis. So if this is true for you as it is for me, so what is our next step? Do we just have to pretend and fake it till we think we make it? No. Thank God, no. Dr. Reamer says it this way in Soul Care again. An external change cannot alleviate an internal torment. A change of circumstances will not overcome the power of a lie. You must renew your mind and reconstruct the foundation of your soul upon the truth of who you are in Christ, or you will not experience deep change. Behavioral change and some accountability won't repair what is broken on the inside. If the foundation is in disrepair, the only way to construct a healthy life is to repair the foundation. Now, knowing the truth on an intellectual level is important, but it's not going to bring life change alone. It requires a rewiring of our thoughts, our attitudes, and our beliefs. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Some versions um, translate it, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it look like in practice to change the way we think and renew our mind? The good news is it isn't complicated, it's just hard. It's a purposeful taking captive of our thoughts and holding it up to God's truth and then choosing not to believe it if it doesn't match up. My counselor likes to explain it to me this way. Think of your thoughts like they are traveling along a train track. You are going from, your mind typically goes from point A to point B, and it just goes back and forth in that same pattern every time you have similar thoughts. And it's been riding this same track for years. But now, when you have thought A, you purposely stop the thought from going to B, and you redirect it to God's truth, point C. When I struggle with my identity and value being determined by what others think of me, I take the thought, and instead of validating it with all my feelings of anxiety and all you know the, the thoughts that start running through my head, I t- redirect it to a truthful statement about my identity. For example, and I'm going to be just really honest with you this morning, I have had to do this so much when writing this message. Even before coming up here while practicing, I had to stand in the back of the cafeteria and kind of repeat these truths to myself because I started to worry, are they going to like the message? Would I do a good job? Am I going to be funny enough? Would they even think I'm funny? Am I going to be serious enough? Do people really wish that Pastor Jimmy was up here instead of me this morning? And 
I know that these are just all lies from the devil. And it doesn't even matter if that's what you are legitimately thinking or not. I have the thoughts, so I have to deal with them. I can either focus on the feelings and the lies and let the track of my mind continue on its normal course, or I take them captive and I renew my mind and remind myself that the issue of my value was settled at the cross. That I don't preach for others' approval, but that I preach from a place of approval by God. And that I repeat, I just repeat God's truth over and over and over and sometimes over again until I start to build that new track in my mind. And eventually, it might take a while, your thoughts are going to go from A to C instead of directly going to B. But I have to put in, and you have to put in, the work to retrain our thoughts. It can't just be an intellectual assent to an idea like, yeah, I think that's true. You have to do something about it. You have to partner with God to make the truth a reality in our lives. Renewing our minds and intentionally redirecting our thoughts to God is a way that we can take this step in our faith. But that's not the only step that we can take. There are lots of other steps of faith that can help us practice and rebuild our foundation on the identity of who God says we are. And thankfully, we don't have to come up with all the steps on our own. If we look back at church history, there have been lots of people before us who have helped design certain steps that other people have found very helpful over the years. And we can often call these steps spiritual disciplines. With discipline meaning more of, you know, how you would train for a race or practice at work for something versus like, ooh, you just got in trouble and you got disciplined. So um, that's what we're talking about. So can you just imagine with me for a moment what Solomon's life might have looked like if he had practiced spiritual disciplines? how different his family might have been and how many generational sin patterns may have been cut off and stopped for the nation of Israel if he had spent time focusing on who God said he was instead of other people. And while it's too late for Solomon, it isn't too late for us today. Choosing to follow some of these spiritual disciplines are steps that we can take to move God's truth from our mind to our heart, from our spirit to our soul. They help us grow and live out our faith in Jesus. And I can't go in depth into all of the steps today, but if you are interested in knowing more about spiritual disciplines, we do have our Pathways series that we did about a year ago. It's on YouTube, and you can go back and listen to any of these messages. For the ones that are appropriate for today, for our online viewers, our, our moderator will be dropping links directly to them in the comments. And for those of you who are here, you'll just have to go find them on your own. Sorry. One of the steps that I want to talk about this morning that helps us combat the lie and stand on God's truth is confession. Now, confession is often misunderstood depending on your church background or your lack thereof. It can seem like a pointless chore 
or it could seem like something that, you know, should just be private between God and me. Neither one really captures what confession is, though, and I like the way that Pastor John Thompson defines it in his book, Convergence. He says, confession isn't about mistakes or slips. It's telling the truth about sin. Confession is telling the truth even when we know it will make us look bad or may change the way others see us. For us, confession really is good for the soul because in it we face our sinfulness and realize how badly we need God and his forgiveness. This is a great discipline to help us combat the lie of what others think about us because it makes us be honest with ourselves and with others about our sin, and it makes us take down and try to unwind that false self. When we care more about what God thinks about us, we will care less about what others think about us. And I'm going to say that one more time because I think that's a truth that someone else besides me needs to hear that this morning. When we care more about what God thinks about us, we will care less about what others think about us. Confession can help us get to this place. It also makes us stop hiding in the darkness and to come into God's healing light. Often we want to confess to just God because we're trying to keep our sins private. But we don't just sin against God. We sin against other people. And we need to be willing to practice humility and to repent of our sin and to go to the person that we've wronged and restore that relationship. It also is a really good but scary idea to have someone that you can be totally honest with in your life, to have no secrets with, a full life confession. And it is scary, but living a fully confessed life and knowing that there's someone who knows everything is so incredibly freeing. To stand on God's truth and to integrate it into our soul requires that we don't pull away from other people and what they say about us, but that we find trustworthy people that we can be completely honest and vulnerable with who will point us back to God's truth. Confession helps. Another step that we can take is silence and solitude. The discipline of silence doesn't just mean the absence of all noise. It's choosing to focus on certain sounds, in this case, what God is saying about us through his word or through his creation. It's taking time to purposefully shut out the voices that aren't God and to focus on God's truth. And that's where solitude can be helpful. According to Pastor Thompson, again in Convergence, he says solitude isn't just about time alone. It's time alone with God. Because how can we hear what God is saying to us and who he is calling us to be if we're not spending any dedicated time in his presence listening to him and that we're just in the chaos of all the unending voices that are coming to us from all throughout society? If you tend to be a little bit more extroverted and just love being with people, this probably seems impossible to you. And that really just means that you probably need this the most. 
Now, if you are a little bit more um, introverted, like myself, don't rejoice and say, yes, I can pull away from people and I can shut myself off and just be alone because we also need to be in community. And that's where the discipline of community comes. We were created to be relational people. God is a relational God, and he's in constant communion with himself as God the Father, Jesus his Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because we reflect God's image and the foundation of our identity is his, we were created too for community. Now, pulling away from and avoiding people isn't a tool of the kingdom of God. And unfortunately, it is one that I tend to use too much. But that doesn't mean we just believe everything that everybody says, because we, are, we all are broken people who are wrestling with the lies and the effects of sin in our life. We are called to be discerning and to test what others tell us according to God's truth, and then to celebrate together in Christ-centered community. In community focused on Jesus, we can offer support to others as we are battling the lies of the enemy. We are not meant to fight alone. So find a community of people who are willing to point you back to God's truth and to stand firm with you and to fight the lies of the devil with you. This could look like being part of a small group here at Crossbridge. We have several throughout the week that you could try and be a part of. It could look like getting a group of friends together wherever you're at and doing community with them. It's just important to be doing the spiritual life together with other people. As we close today, I want to take a moment to remind us that the process of finding our true self and dying to our false self isn't going to end until we're one day in eternity with Jesus, as much as I want to be able to perfect it here on earth. It's just not going to happen. Today could be step one for some people in this journey. It could be step 33 or 50 or you know 120 for others. It doesn't matter what step you're on at the moment. What matters is that you keep taking steps. So what is your next step today? I want you to grab your little journals back out or just a piece of paper if you don't have them. And I want you to write down one step that you can take this week. And I'm going to give you a few questions that you can think through. Um, four different steps that you can take. And then we'll take, we'll pray, give you some time in silence, and then I'll come back. But do you need to learn and know God's truth about your identity? A next step might be trying to memorize scripture that talks about God and who he says you are. Do you know God's truth, but you need to work it out in your life? A next step might be taking your thoughts captive and replacing it with God's truth each time you feel like your mind is going from A to B, A to B? Do you need to get away and spend some time listening to God's voice in silence and solitude? If so, carve out time this week. Don't be like, I'll get to that next week. This week, carve out time and get alone with God. 
Do you need to confess a sin to a trusted friend or just to take an accounting of your own sin? Have you hurt someone and you need to ask for forgiveness? Do you need to forgive someone who has hurt you? Don't wait, take the step. Or do you need to plug into community and stop trying to live the Christian life on your own? Reach out to a friend, try a small group, make that your step. So right now, let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us where to go. Um, I'm going to pray, give a moment or two of silence, and then I'll come back. So, Holy Spirit, we know that you are here and that you are in each of us who declare you as Lord and Savior. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, now that you would speak to us. Bring up um, a specific step that people need to take. Bring up... Um, scripture that we have memorized that is applicable. Lord God, bring up a sin we might need to confess. Lord, just speak to us now. Let our ears be open. In your name we pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would keep speaking to us this week. That this wouldn't just be a series that we say, hey, that was really nice. And then we put it on a shelf and we don't think about it again. Lord God, give us boldness to attack the lies of the devil, for endurance to keep stepping towards Jesus. Lord, I pray for just freedom from the bondage of these lies in our lives. I pray against fear that tells us that nothing's ever going to change, because with you, all things are possible, God. And you declare that in you, we can have freedom. And Lord God, we thank you that you do not lie and that your truth is something that we can build as a solid foundation. And so as we step forward in faith, Lord, help us to look different in December of 2022. Help us to look more like you, Jesus. And may you receive all the glory. Holy Spirit, fill us as we continue to worship you through communion. Amen.